Amen. You guys have your Bibles with you. Let's open them together to Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11 is where we're going to spend our time together this morning. We have been walking through the book of Acts, and last week we, we began to look at the, uh, the church at Antioch. And uh, the church at Antioch began last week. We recognized that as an evangelistic movement, right, we saw that many of those people who came as a result of Stephen's persecution came to Antioch and they were sharing the gospel with the the Greeks, but they were also sharing the gospel there with the Jews as well. I read a quote for you last week that I want to kind of begin with this morning. It's a quote from J.D. Greer, who's the president of the Southern Baptist Convention, and he says, the gospel is not just the diving board off which we jump into the pool of Christianity, but the gospel is the pool itself. It's not only the way that we begin in Christ... It is the way we grow in Christ. Sometimes, as, as we as believers in modern day, we can see the gospel as an end to itself. So we share the gospel with people. We want to see them evangelize. We want them to profess Jesus Christ as their Lord. But sometimes we can be further removed from it than we really should be. But Jesus lived and His ministry was through what we believe to be about 30 A.D., Jesus' ministry was about three years, so that would mean that Jesus somewhere between 30 and 33 A.D. was crucified on the cross. Somewhere between 30 and 33 A.D., Jesus was resurrected from the dead. And somewhere between 30 and 33 A.D., Jesus stood before His disciples and He told them that they were to be His witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. Most people believe that the church of Antioch's finding here, the founding, the foundation of this church in Acts chapter 11 was somewhere around 40 and 43 A.D. So what I want you to see here is that the foundation of this church is only a mere 10 years removed from Jesus' crucifixion. So as you could imagine, the church as it was growing and flourishing as rapidly as it was, it was was necessary for the apostles to to check on these new churches. It was necessary for the apostles to do what Tim Keller calls quality control for those believers who were coming to faith. And so Barnabas is sent as a representative of the church of Jerusalem to go and make certain that the gospel that these people have believed in is in fact the gospel that Jesus gave the apostles, is in fact the gospel that they also were preaching inside of Jerusalem. I don't want you to misunderstand this. It wasn't that Barnabas was going to the church of Antioch because he, he, missed, he didn't believe that God was doing this. It wasn't that he misunderstood the movement that was happening. It was simply to make sure that the purity of the gospel remained intact. Something else that's important for us to remember is that, that the church of Jerusalem was not jealous of the church of Antioch. They celebrated what was going on at the church of Antioch. They simply wanted to go and they simply wanted to see and make certain that the gospel had remained in its purest form. It's a challenge for all of us even up until this day, right? We need to make certain that the gospel that we believe in, the gospel that we teach, the gospel that we proclaim, that it is in its purest form based on the word of God that we have contained inside of this book. I want you to note though that The church of Antioch had experienced great success. 
The church of Antioch was growing. They were, they were experiencing an evangelism explosion and people coming and confessing Jesus as Lord. And it would make me wonder why the church at Antioch didn't say to the church of Jerusalem, well, maybe church at Jerusalem, you've got something to learn from us. What do you have to speak into our congregation? What right do you have to come and to correct our doctrine? You see, that's not at all the attitude of the church of Antioch. Instead, the church of Antioch obviously welcomed Barnabas into their fold. They welcomed the correction of Barnabas also into their church. Now, this is really difficult for us because many of us don't like to be corrected. Amen. Many of us don't like to be corrected. We don't like someone to tell us where our error in our ways are, but I want you to be sure to understand that true disciples of Jesus allow correction into their lives. They allow such accountability that they allow correction to come to their ears. They are allowing correction to come to their feet. There is room for correction at the church of Antioch, even though we look at the church of Antioch and say, man, these guys had things figured out. No, they opened their arms and they welcomed Barnabas and they welcomed Barnabas to offer any correction that he might have to their gospel that they had been proclaiming. There is room for correction in the life of the church at Antioch. And listen, there must be room for correction in our lives as disciples of Jesus. We cannot be effectively discipled if we are so arrogant as to believe that we and we alone have it all figured out. There are moments in our lives when we need to allow someone to speak the truth into our lives as, as Tim Keller says, a quality control into our walk and our discipline of being a follower of Jesus. It's interesting to me that the church of Jerusalem sends Barnabas, it seems, to, to speak into the church and to make certain that the gospel had remained pure. The second thing I want you to note, though, is particularly about Barnabas, is that not only was there room for correction, but there was a reason also for encouragement. If we were to play a word association game, I could call out some of the disciples and and you might respond to a word that comes to your mind. Like if I were to say Luke, some of you might say doctor, right? Some of the characters inside of the Bible. If I were to say Matthew, you might say tax collector. If I were to say Thomas, every one of you no doubt would say the doubting Thomas. And if I were to say to you Barnabas, all of us know Barnabas as an encourager. This is how we know and recognize Barnabas. Barnabas itself means son of encouragement. And so it was, no, it was no accident that the church of Jerusalem sent this man, this man that was an encourager into this body of believers. And look at what he encourages them to do. He, it says he exhorted them to remain faithful to the Lord Jesus. You see, his encouragement was just very simply, remain faithful, remain grounded, don't lose your grip, don't slip in any false teaching, but remain faithful to the gospel. But I want to look even beyond that because I think this is significant for us today 
If you look again, it says he exhorted them. This is the latter part of verse 23. He exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. Look at verse 24. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. If I also were to go around the room and ask each of us to acknowledge an encourager in our life, we might have to think about that. We might, have to, we might have to think about who it is in our lives that is an encourager. But most likely, if I were to go around the room and I were to say, who is a discourager in your life, we probably could think of somebody. Because it seems as if in the world in which we live, there is more discouragement than there is encouragement. And it doesn't even have to be people that are discouragements to us. We know that everything that we see on the media is certainly a discouragement to us. It doesn't matter if, if your flavor is Fox News, MSNBC, CNN, or whatever else, Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. These things are discouragers in our hearts today. There is no encouragement in those media outlets Because encouragement comes from somewhere different than the world. Look again at what it says. It says, he encouraged them or he exhorted them, verse 24, for, or we might would say, because he was a good man, full of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and full of faith. You see, the only reason... Barnabas was able to be an encourager into the life of Antioch was because Barnabas was different than the world. Barnabas was an encourager because he was full of the Holy Spirit and he was full of faith. Yeah, we don't watch the news like the world watches the news or as Paul says, we don't look at the grave like the world looks at the grave. We look at the grave and we look at the world with the full faith. Full of the Holy Spirit. There is no reason at any moment, dear church, when we should be discouraged. No matter what goes on around us, Jesus Christ is the King of kings. No matter what the world puts before us, Jesus is our encouragement. And He is greater than any other word that may be whispered into our ear. I want you to see that Barnabas was an encourager and it was not an oddity for the believer. We all are to be encouragers to one another in the midst of this discipleship process. Correction? Yes. Correction with encouragement. This is the way Barnabas does it into this church. And it's the way we're supposed to do with one another. Oftentimes we can discourage one another. But how often have we mimicked Barnabas and encouraged with correction? The next thing I want you to see, there was room for correction. There was reason for encouragement. The third thing that is so important for us is that there was always teaching. Look at verse 25. There was always teaching. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. When he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for a whole year, they met with the church and they taught a great many people. Even as we saw the apostles, after they were given that command to be witnesses in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, we find the apostles in Acts chapter 4. And you remember, in Acts chapter 4, we were given a list of everything the disciples did together. They fellowshiped together, we're told. They broke bread together, we're told. 
We're told that they prayed together. But before we're given any of those descriptions of the New Testament church, those disciples in Acts chapter 4, we are told they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings. If you look at the New Testament church, Acts, all of the Pauline epistles, anything that mentions the New Testament church, you will always see the church of Jesus Christ has always included the teaching of the gospel. It is a vital part of disciple making and it is a vital part of what we are as a church. The church of Antioch was a church because they were teaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Disciple making requires teaching. But disciple making requires correct and right teaching. And so Barnabas just didn't go out and get anybody. Barnabas went and he sought the man who knew the man. He went and got Saul himself. Saul, it says, of Tarsus was at home. And Barnabas left the people of Antioch to go and get Saul and bring him back so that he could teach this church at Antioch. What if Paul were your pastor? What about this? Paul, for a year, sits before that church and declares to them the completion of the Old Covenant. A man who knew the law better than anyone else. He was a Jew of Jews, we're told. He was teaching this church correct, right, we would call biblical teaching. And he was doing so because teaching is necessary for a healthy congregation. It's why we gather together on Sunday mornings. It's why it's necessary for you to be a part of a small group teaching situation. It's because believers, disciples, the church of Jesus Christ has always involved teaching. Always. From the very beginning. I will go further and say this. It's, it's another one of those reasons why the church is so anemic and unhealthy at the moment. Because we are missing the teaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have separated ourselves due to necessity for some. We've separated ourselves from the teaching of the gospel. And as a result, we cannot be healthy disciples of Jesus. It is absolutely necessary that we have biblical teaching. A step even further. When the church loses biblical teaching, it ceases even to be the church. We must maintain this teaching that we see modeled here by the church of Antioch. They were encouraged and corrected and they were taught the gospel according to the experiences of the apostles and also here now of Barnabas. The next thing I want you to see is the last part of that verse, verse 26. It says very quickly, in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. The correction, the encouragement, and the teaching transformed this group of followers. It changed them. It changed them so much that the world around them recognized their change and began to call them Christians. Christian is a word that we have thrown around too easily over the last hundred years. It's a word that we stumble upon all the time, whether it's in our media or it's a description of our nation. 
We use the word Christian outside of the original context of Acts chapter 11 and verse 26. I want you to know why we wear the title Christian as a badge of honor. It was never intended to be a badge of honor. The word Christian was a derogatory term that was developed by the world to make fun of and to jest at those people who followed the way. Yeah, they looked at the people who followed Jesus Christ and in their minds they thought, well, look at these people. Their God lived His life for 30 years, ministered for three, died upon a cross. Nails in His hands, nails in His feet. What a waste of time, the world would say. And then these people also, they're no different than that Jesus was. They're living their life. They're wasting it away. And one day they too will die. As they looked at believers, they thought that believers were to be laughed at by modeling their life after this Jesus who is a supposed Messiah of the world. You see, they didn't do it as a compliment. They were doing it to prod the believers, to test the believers. Do you want to be called a little Jesus? Do you want to be called a little Christ? Isn't it something that these believers, they had surrendered themselves so much to correction in the midst of encouragement and the teaching of the gospel that their lives lived out, modeled Jesus's to such a degree that the world looked at them and began to call them little imitators of Jesus. Little imitators of Jesus. There was a fad whenever... I was a teenager, and that's been several years ago, but it even exists till today. It's these little armbands that people wear around their wrist, and I remember the first time I ever saw a what-would-Jesus-do armband. Again, people still wear them to this day. Unfortunately, it's become so cliche at this point and, and overused and abandoned, but I do believe that this question... What would Jesus do is a great question for us as little Jesus imitators. It would be good to question our fruitfulness not only as a church but also as individuals. Do we reflect Jesus in such a way that the world would look to us and say, look at those little Jesus imitators. Do we live our lives in such a way based on the teaching and correction and encouragement of the gospel that people look to our congregation and again, us as individuals and says, look at those little Jesus imitators. What would Jesus say? What would He say about churches' healthiness or lack thereof today? What would Jesus say about our lack of teaching and correction and discipline inside the church What would Jesus say in the midst of a pandemic to the church of Jesus Christ? What would Jesus say to the hatred that is spewed so often in our world in these times? What would Jesus say and would the world recognize us as little Jesus imitators? It would certainly be evidence of fruitfulness in our lives. If the world looked to us and made such a derogatory statement towards us. What a compliment that would be. Look at you little Jesus imitators. Oh, that that we would be called such ugliness. That the world would look to us 
And they would accuse us of being Christians. What a blessing that would be for the church of Jesus Christ. The church of Jesus Christ was known for its fruitfulness. But I don't want you to miss this. The fruitfulness of the church of Jesus Christ came because they allowed correction. They listened to biblical teaching. And they encouraged one another to walk in the way that is the way of Jesus Christ. I wonder what we're known for. I don't wonder enough to ask the community. I'm afraid of what might be said. But I wonder what we're known for. I think this leads us to a point of application today for each of us to ask ourselves a few questions. First of all, have we opened our lives up to other believers correcting us or accountability into our lives? Are we an encouragement to each other in their walk or are we no different than MSNBC and Fox News? We only bring the bad. Are we submitting to biblical teaching? Not just on Sunday mornings at 11 o'clock, but have you submitted your life over the last three months? Have you submitted your life to biblical teaching? Is your life and does our church, are we known? Would it be said of us that we were little Jesus imitators? God, these are all hard things for us. And God, we look at a church like the church of Antioch, God, and we see them as a positive example of how we should live. God, we see them as an example of how we should operate. God, we need to be evangelistic in our emphasis as we talked about last week. God, we need to be disciple-making. We need to be like Barnabas. We need to be speaking correction into each other's life. We need to be encouraging one another. We need to be like Saul. We need to be like Barnabas. We need to be teaching the Word of God to one another. And God, those three things bring about in our lives, God, this accusation that we're little Jesus imitators. What a blessing that would be to be accused of such. Help us, God, as individuals, as you've convicted us this morning to respond ever how we deem necessary. And God, also help us as a church to think on these things as we anticipate coming together again next week. Lord, we pray and ask all of this in the name of Jesus, our Lord and our authority. Amen.